Welcome to My Comic Shop Book Club. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Our convention talk will resume in September, but summer belongs to the sub-series. First up is a two-episode Superman Book Club event. In this installment, we will be tackling the five major post-crisis tellings of Superman's origin. We're talking Burns' Man of Steel, For All Seasons by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, Superman Birthright by Mark Wade and Lennel Yu, Secret Origin by Je- uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, and American Alien by Max Landis. Joining me for this episode and the next episode as well is a returning guest, a flat squirrel favorite, 13th Dimensions, Dan Greenfield. Hey, how are you? Good. Welcome back, sir. Well, thank you for having me. Anytime uh, I get a chance to talk about comic books, I'm going to take it. Yeah. The last time we did a book club episode, we were also joined by Mike San Gregorio. We right. tackled the entire seven-year Grant Morrison run on Batman. That was a lot more homework. That was a lot of homework. Yeah, I that was that was a heavy lift. Um, it was fun, though, because I had, you know, I that was something I'd always wanted to read um, in one sitting. And even though I didn't get to do it in one sitting, it took me a couple of weeks to get it done. Um, there was a lot there. This was different because everything, the, the perspectives and points of view in all of these different stories are, are quite different. So it, it's, I think it's a, it'll be a different approach. Yeah. I mean, this could be maybe be another book club episode at another point, but just as a quick follow-up to the, sure. to the Morrison one, I, I really, it was an interesting experiment going through that entire run. You know, as we discussed in that episode, Morrison can be kind of challenging and mm-hmm. it can be a lot of work, you know, right. getting through everything, but I really had a good time with it. And then after that, I went back and I revisited Final Crisis right. and I read the whole thing in one sitting and I enjoyed it and appreciated it a lot more the second time. There are still things that I think could have been a lot better about it. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think it worked completely, but I definitely enjoyed it more. And, and so now I'd be open to, to revisiting some other Morrison stuff down the line, I think. Well, the, the funny thing that we're not talking about here is All-Star Superman, which, of course, is its own thing and has the most brilliant telling of the Superman origin perhaps ever in one page. Yes. You know, just, what is it, the, the four four panels in one page, I think it is, is, is about you know, it really gets to the heart of the matter. But anyway, we've got five stories here with uh, a lot more detail to talk about. Someone actually made that exact point when I posted on Facebook that I was going to be doing this book club episode. Um, Someone actually wrote the best origin is the first page of all-star Superman. So it's true. So while we're, you know, yeah, it, it, because really it's, it's, and this, this will be kind of a theme, I think, in, in some of the things we'll talk about here is it really does get to the heart of what you need to know about Superman because there are just some basic tropes that are key. It's the details and what you prefer, uh, you know, in those details, I think, uh, has a lot to do with what kind of Superman fan you are. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, oh, and I also want to thank you, uh, before we get into this for the opportunity to write an article for 13th dimension during, oh, sure. during Superman week, a couple months back. Superman week was fun. We, we did for anybody who's, who's listening. Um, you can go back uh, to 13th dimension and, and look up Superman week in the search window. We did a lot of coverage and yeah, Anthony, Anthony's piece was, was terrific about sort of the legacy of Superman and why he endures after 80 years. Uh, it was one of the favorite things that I published that week and, and we had a lot of other good stuff in there as well. Plus, you know, Dan Jurgens wrote a piece for us, which was great. And we had a lot of good, you know, artists talking about different Superman in action comics covers. And that was something that, uh, that was one of the happiest things I've done this year. It was, that was really great. And the, and the response to it was, was phenomenal. Yeah, you know, I, I was honored to be, to be asked. And, you know, when you gave me the assignment, 
you know, it, it took me a second because, it, and I, I incorporated this into the article, you know, for almost my whole life, anytime anyone says, who's your favorite character, it's, it's automatic, it's Superman. Right. And it's like, yes, over the years I've thought about why and I could articulate a few reasons, but to actually sit down and come up with 13 concrete yeah. reasons, <laughs> but it was, it was such a, a valuable exercise yeah. as a writer, as a fan, like it was, um, it was, it was a process that I really enjoyed and, you know, people can read the article if they want, but, you know, one of the things that I included in that was that... I really feel like it's a very tired argument, and I don't want to hear it anymore, about Superman not being relatable. He's too powerful. It's hard to come up with credible threats. He's too godlike. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's always been this young man trying to find his place in the world, mm-hmm. and it, it's universal. And as I wrote in, in the piece, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't argue that he has a more compelling origin than a Batman or a Spider-Man. I mean, right. I, I wouldn't go that far. But as far as him being relatable, it's there. And I'm excited that we're talking about these works here, because I think all of them in their own way, some more so than others... Uh, really get at that idea. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, and I would actually say his is as compelling as Batman and, and Spider-Man as far as like the top origin stories that you think of, because it is archetypal, you know, in the, it, it, as Morrison, as we were just saying, pointed out one page, four panels, I think it was, that's it. And it is that crux, the idea. And it, you know, I mean, there's, and we can, and I'm sure we will, you can go on to the issue about it being a metaphor for the immigrant experience, the idea of, you know, assimilation, the whole idea of truth, justice in the American way, but all of that coming from that idea of the exploding planet, put him in a rocket, send him to earth, and then he becomes Superman is, you know, it's the classic American myth, so... All right. So we talked ahead of time uh, about kind of tackling these books, you know, thematically, because they, they hit a lot of the same beats, but in sometimes in a different order or a different mm-hmm. way with their own spin. Uh, so we'll be really organizing our conversation that way rather than going book by book. But right. if you're game, I thought maybe we could just go through each one quickly, like just to give a like, sure. a, like a hot take. Absolutely. On it. Uh, would you would you like to kick us off with uh, with Man of Steel? Absolutely, because Man of Steel was what made me a Superman fan in the comics. Um, I was 19 when it came out. It was uh, 1986, and I had not. I'm a Batman fan, uh, not a big Superman fan growing up. I mean, I liked him because he was a superhero. He wore a cape, flew around, did cool stuff. Um, But it wasn't like you know. I I I I watched the George Reeves show somewhat. uh, Was certainly familiar with Super Friends, all of that kind of stuff. And I had some comic books that were Superman comics, and of course, I knew him you know through World's Finest, also in the Justice League. But the Superman comics never really spoke to me, and. What really changed everything for me was Superman the movie, which I saw when it came out. So I was 10 years old, um, or there about uh, 10 or 11 years old. Uh, and that changed everything. I completely understood Superman's appeal. I completely understood why people, why he was a big deal. But even then, and what it did do is that it made me then go back and reevaluate the comics. Go get some comics. Let's get into Superman. Let's give this a try. But the comics left me cold. It just didn't speak to me for whatever reason. And so when, when Byrne, you know, when they announced that Byrne was taking over and that they were going to revamp Superman's origin and that it was going to be this whole ground up, you know, redo, I was really excited. I figured that here's an opportunity for me as a fan to really kind of jump in on a, the perfect jumping on point. And we are so accustomed to reboots now. This was historic. This was in 1986. This was not, this had not been done before. There had been, you know, over the years, of course, there was Earth One, Earth Two, Golden Age, Silver Age, but that was more of an evolution. This was here we are. We're throwing out the old. We're putting in the new, and a lot of people were upset by it, but I was really excited by it. 
So when it came out as a bi-weekly miniseries and they, they put a pause on Superman and action comics and, and you know, that year and had this come out, I was really excited. And I, it was for that summer, my favorite comic book. I was, you know, I, I eagerly awaited for the next issue and to, to this day, it remains my favorite take on Superman in the comics. Um, and part of it is because it adheres so much conceptually to what Superman the movie is in terms of stripping down the origin, kind of limiting his powers to a certain degree. It's the way it regards his relationships with Lois Lane and Lex Luthor uh, and Metropolis in general the way it handled his relationship with his parents. Um, so for me, the man of steel is still the, the benchmark of all of the Superman, uh, origin stories. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you, you know, you brought all of that up. I was going to ask, you know, what it was like reading that at the time when it came out. Cause I think it's important. I mean, for all of them, but especially that one, putting it in its proper context, you right. know, on the heels of crisis on infinite earths and right. this new version of Superman. And, yep. um, I mean, for someone who had read Superman previously, I know, you know, it didn't really connect with you as much, but I mean, I would imagine, I mean, this was such a departure, yeah. right? From everything that had come before. It was. And I was aware of that because what had been, and this isn't to, I, I I don't want to put too fine a point on it because I don't want anybody to be insulted if they're big Bronze Age Superman fans or Silver Age Superman fans because those fans are very, and rightfully so, protective of that version of Superman. Um, it just didn't work for me. It just wasn't something that I that appealed to me. But Man of Steel and the first couple of years afterward with when Byrne was still on the books and, you know, Wolfman and Ordway were on the other books and, and you know, they had action become a team up and... It was all really, really, really exciting. And it was probably the high point of my Superman fandom. But that summer of The Man of Steel, it, it was like watching a miniseries. I mean, you, you looked, it was appointment reading. You couldn't, I couldn't wait to get to the store. I looked forward to it. I, you know, every, and I read it and reread it. And I, I loved the new version of Krypton. I loved the notion that he was never Superboy. I loved the way his, idea of Clark Kent was. I love the way, and I still to this day, and there are so many great artists out there who have done Superman. I don't know if I can say that John Byrne is the best Superman artist ever, but nobody's better. Anybody else you can find out there, in my opinion, is as good maybe, Gary Frank being right. a real great example. But Byrne, to me, visually, also gives me what I think of, when I think Superman in my mind in, in the comics, it's what John Byrne drew. Uh, you know, talking about that experience of, of reading it as it came out, you know, in our next episode, a little preview for listeners, we'll be tackling Bendis's Man yes. of Steel, which is coming out weekly this summer. And right. perhaps there's someone out there now, some youngster who's uh, who's having a similar experience this summer. Well, you sure, you know, you hope so. Yeah, you know, hope that, so. Yeah. That's what, I mean, and that sort of was the, I guess, the impetus to kind of do this was because of Bendis taking over and kind of taking stock in Superman. And, you know, the way they brought in Bendis was very much like John Byrne, the, the Bendis is, I mean, we'll talk about this more in the next episode, but Bendis's defection was as big a deal as John Byrne's was in, in the mid eighties. And in the same way that Kirby was in the early seventies, there's a, there's a real through line there. So it was no accident that DC decided to kick off Bendis's run with a six issue miniseries called the man of steel using the exact same font for the logo. And, 
you know, the, the, the difference there is that as, and as we'll get to, that's not really an origin story. It kind of tinkers with the origin, but it's not a really an origin story, but the man of steel certainly sure was. And it it wasn't bat. it wasn't like Batman year one where it was one year. It's basically takes, I think it's like a 10 year. Yes. They they do cover a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Six issues in 10 years or something like that. Yeah. So I had only ever read, believe it or not, I had only ever read man of steel once before. Oh, no Um, kidding. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, uh, so I, I enjoyed revisiting it, and I definitely enjoyed it more the second time. Man of Steel kind of falls into the category for me of of a book that I respect and appreciate more than I necessarily enjoy the reading of it. However, I mean, I really, I would count this as probably the most important of, of all of these ones that we're mm-hmm. talking about. And, you know, for me personally, you know, I started with Superman in 92. Byrne was not doing Superman at that right. point, but... The Superman I was reading, I mean, that was Burn Superman. That right. was the one that he established. So, right. um, you know, it, it definitely carries a lot of weight uh, for me. We'll jump to For All Seasons. Huge Smallville fan, as, as you know, and as listeners know, I've talked about it <laughs> basically any chance I get. So it's probably not surprising. For All Seasons is one of my favorites because, you know, we spend a lot of time in Smallville. So much of it is about him, him leaving Smallville, leaving the farm, and then coming back to it at these mm-hmm. points of loneliness or doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I enjoyed it a lot. For me, it was probably the most emotionally resonant. Um, and I'm not surprised because Loeb and Sale, I think, uh, do that extremely well. We saw that with the Marvel color books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow in particular are ones that uh, that I really enjoyed. So For All Seasons, uh, again, probably on an emotional level, I, I connected with the most. Um, and it was interesting, you know, each each chapter representing a season and some a different perspective, right? right. So we had Pa Kent, we had Lois, Lex, and Lana. Uh, so seeing Clark and Superman through their eyes, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. What was your your take on? Well, it fits in seasons? with because of the time that it came out. Um, DC hadn't let it become a runaway train as far as Superman's origin was yet. I mean, they they still were adhering to Man of Steel being the origin. So for all seasons, fits in. It really does. It, yeah, it's, it's yeah. written very much with Man of Steel in mind, and it basically fills in the blanks. And like you said, it's emotionally resonant more than all five of all five that we that we're discussing here. It is easily the most emotionally resonant. It's the most personal of all of the stories, and in part, I think it's because they're not trying to reestablish the origin. They're trying, you know, they're trying to fill in the gaps and amplify certain parts of Superman's character, particularly the Clark Kent aspect of his character. And you're right, the Smallville aspect of his upbringing. Um, But it's basically Superman year one, Mm -hmm. where it's kind of, it's told in four seasons. Um, It's written with, with very clear callbacks to Man of Steel, particularly the Lex Luthor stuff. But it makes it so that all fits in and doesn't contradict anything. So I really, I, I appreciate it for that. It's also one of the most beautifully colored books I've yes. ever seen. Um, Bjorn Hansen being the colorist. It's just beautiful. Uh, especially again in Smallville, the, the scene where, where, uh, uh, Clark and his father are standing out in the field and the yeah. sun says, did you ever get tired of this? He says, no. And it's just beautiful. And you could just imagine, you know, what, you know, just standing there like that and, and, and how, how fulfilling it is to be in Smallville. And, and, and it gives Smallville a sense of character and a sense of not scope. It's the, the opposite of that really. But it gives a sense of why it's so important to Superman and his upbringing to to have Smallville as part of his background. Yeah. So now shifting to Birthright right. by Mark Wade. So now this was a a new telling of the yes. origin, not something to fit in with what had previously been established. Uh, well, I'm going to get your your take first. I, you know, I didn't read it as it came out. I read it is in, in trade in this. Actually, I wrote uh, I read For All Seasons in trade too because they both came out. A, you know, while I was Birthright at the end, but 
uh, for all seasons came out when I was on my personal comic book hiatus, which was about a ten year period. Yes, which we discussed. The yeah, very which we've first, discussed uh, yes, way back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, but it was that. So I b- read both of those in retrospect. Um, which is good because actually for all seasons works especially well in, in one sitting birthright. I liked, but I had, I had problems with it because, and this is where we're going to get into a thematic issue that, that I think is a lot of superhero stories now in all sorts of media, but particularly Superman is that I didn't think it was necessary. It was not a story I thought that needed to be told. I thought that and I still cling to the idea that Man of Steel covered all the bases that needed to be covered. And I didn't think there was any reason to go back and redo it. It was still fresh in my mind. And because if you remember my comic book thinking was on the pause button, right? You know, for me, burn was still it when I left comics. And so when I came back, I assumed burn was still it and burn was no longer it at all. Not even close to it when, you know, where Superman was concerned anyway. So I read Birthright and it kind of confused me. I'm, I was, as I read it, like the first time I thought, why am I reading this? I'm not sure I understand what the, what the point of this is. We have a perfectly legitimate, uh, uh, origin story. Do we really need another one so soon? So everything I read about or read about Birthright was in that kind of, you know, from that perspective, um, it's not fair to the book at all. It's not fair to, to the effort that went into it, you know, Mark Wade and Lionel Yu. Um, it's a perfectly fine Superman origin story, but it doesn't speak to me because it, it, it'll always be that thing that kind of intruded on something for me that never seemed, you know, it just never seemed necessary. Although I do like some of what it brought to Superman's world. You know, I've had a big smile on my face as, as you've been saying all that because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so, it's interesting to me again, you know, these personal connections that we have with these characters and stories. So for you, you know, you really connected with Man of Steel and then Birthright comes along and it's like, well, we don't need this. For me, you know, again, I didn't have that connection with Man of Steel. Right. Birthright came around, came along. It's my favorite and I'll, I'll talk about why. Um, and I'm just going to jump ahead for a second. When Secret Origin came around, I felt Secret Origin was the most unnecessary <laughs> out of all of these. Uh, so the experience that you had with Birthright, that was me with Secret Origin, where I'm like, no, we have a, a you know <laughs> the definitive origin that right. just came out a few years earlier. We don't need this. Well, I think there's also an age thing that's going on here too, because it's a common it's a common discussion point that that when you when you um, experience certain things in comics at certain ages and at certain times, and you, you know you love your first, you love what you loved when you were ten or twelve years old. Right. Those those rose colored glasses come on, and I think that that also helps. Um, with with when it comes to when it comes to birthright, it it just it was one of those. Th- I I kind of think of it as the comic book version of the movie The Amazing Spider Man, where you just had had three movies that told the Spider-Man story. And here we go again, starting over from scratch. And I'm thinking, this movie's fine. I certainly like the Gwen Stacy bit. I, you know, I like Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield is a fine Peter Parker and I'm enjoying myself watching this story, but I'm thinking to myself, why, why did they do this? They didn't need to tell another origin story. They just could have had it be Spider-Man mid-career. It didn't have to have anything to do with Tobey Maguire. They could have said it's a reboot, made other cosmetic changes and moved on. It's sort of also how I feel about the movie, The Man of Steel. And again, not to get too, uh, too far off the point, but I watched that movie and despite my other substantial issues with that movie. Also, I thought to myself, why do we need it to be the origin when we know, again, going back to Grant Morrison's one page, everybody knows what happened. Everybody knows Krypton blew up. Everybody knows he came here in a rocket. Why do we need to see this again as a movie? 
I know that that's, that's somewhat apples and oranges, but that's always been my take on, on birthright. But again, that's not to say that it's not a good comic book because it's obviously very well done, very professionally told from a story standpoint, there's parts of it that don't really appeal to me. Um, because I, I really do prefer kind of a different vision of Krypton and where Krypton Krypton's role in Superman's um, makeup, as it were, and how much of it, how much of his story should be. So I, I'm, I'm of the mind that the best Superman stories have very little to do with Krypton, very little to do with him going back to Krypton or thinking about Krypton. Krypton was where he came from. Krypton is no longer there. It's part of his legacy and elements of the, the fortress of solitude, of course, is where he goes to get his Krypton on. Um, but I prefer the stories where he's more, well, I mean, he can be off in other parts of the galaxy sure, sure, or yeah. whatever, but I mean, just living in the now, I guess is the best way. And, and then, so when I, I see something like birthright, which kind of leaned heavily on the Krypton stuff, um, it just doesn't interest me from a, really just from a taste issue. Fair enough. Uh, so, you know, one of the, the themes I want to talk about is, is Krypton and its role in, in Clark's origin story. But uh, just as a quick side note, you mentioned mm-hmm. Man of Steel. Uh, for all of its shortcomings, and right. we could do a whole other uh, podcast on on that and the whole Snyderverse, but for whatever reason, it was the first time, Man of Steel was the first time that the Krypton portion of the story really worked for me. And I don't know if it was the visual aesthetic or Russell Crowe's performance. That's what probably it, that, that was what it is. I thought he was the best part of the movie. And that was the first because yeah. every time, whether it's honestly any of these, and again, not all of these books that we read uh, even show Krypton. In fact, only a couple of them do. Right. Um, but even if it's Superman the animated series or, mm-hmm. or Superman the movie, that's always the part that I'm just kind of like, all right, we got to get through this before right. we get to Smallville, yes. which is where I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> Uh, but but Man of Steel was See, the for first. me. It's Metropolis. Fair enough. I, I really prefer the whole Metropolis thing. But go ahead. Yeah. Although I, I watched every episode of Smallville too. I watched all <laughs> ten years of it. I was there right with you there. All uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So Man of Steel was the first time where I was like, okay, like this, this like I, I just connected with it and sure. I was really engaged with it. Uh, as far as Birthright, see for me the the reason why I, I felt it was necessary was I, I felt it was it was it finally took the time to explain why Clark would adopt the costume and this other persona. I felt like the other stories accounted for why he would want to use his powers for good. Like, that's addressed in pretty much all of them. But as far as actually making this decision to put on that costume and and have the dual identity, I felt like it was the most complete and realistic treatment of that. The other thing that I really liked, and one of the themes I I want to talk about is the depiction of Clark birthright's my favorite because i feel i like burns clark but he might be a little too confident and assertive sure uh but then on the other extreme we have uh you know the the secret origin take which is very much informed by the christopher reeve richard donner movie and and in that case while i love reeve's performance and i think it does probably the most convincing job explaining why people wouldn't be able to tell that they're the same person I don't particularly care for like the bumbling Clark. I much prefer the idea that he's he's more just unassuming and dull and just kind of trying to fade into the background as opposed to like knocking everything over and right. being the center of attention in that way. So uh, for those reasons in particular and others as well that we can talk about, um, again, Birthright just worked for me. It, it, was, it was my favorite. Um, but like I said, jumping to to the next one for our hot takes, uh, I felt Secret Origin was, was the, the least necessary. And it breaks my heart to say that because I... I've enjoyed a lot of, of what Jeff Johns has written, um, especially the 
like the first chunk of his career at DC, the Flash run, bringing back Hal Jordan, bringing back Hawkman, uh, the way he revitalized uh, JSA with Goyer and James Robinson, all of the team, bringing back Teen Titans. Those are some of my favorite comics, my favorite runs. Uh, some of the, the more recent work I, ha- I haven't connected with as much, and, and Secret Origin sadly uh, falls into that category for me. You mentioned Superboy before. As much of a Superman fan as I am, I do not care for the concept of Superboy. I don't well, like. We, we agree there. Yeah, I don't like the idea that he'd be putting on the costume and and, and flying around in Smallville. Right. Um, I also and so that's something that Secret Origin reinstated, as well as Clark's time with the Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm. I get the appeal. Like right. I really do. Like I understand why people would like this and why this is something that they might want to bring back. But I feel like him having those adventures at that point in his journey kind of undermines yes. his his overall story and path uh so i really didn't care for for those two things being reinstated and the rest of it i really didn't feel like it offered us again it just didn't feel necessary to me what was your take i liked it a lot and part of it was because it, this also came at a time for me when and again talk about things that we've talked about before things that i've written about when i was much more hung up on continuity it was very frustrating 10 years ago, I thought, particularly with Birthright and, and when Infinite Crisis came along, to figure out when you're reading Superman comics at that point, I was more hung up on the idea of, of needing to know what Superman am I reading here? Which, I mean, if they're tossing out Man of Steel and then they bring in Birthright, but then they brought it, they took out Birthright, all, it felt like almost as quickly as they put it in as far as canon. Yeah. And then they went years without really kind of telling you, and, and not that it mattered, and a lot of this also was paralleled with the legal issues over the name Superboy and the character Superboy. And so that was informed by a lot of this also. Um, So that when they finally came back and Jeff Johns took over the character, first off, Johns's run on Superman at the, up to that time was the closest I had read to what Byrne had been doing. Not in terms of the details of whether he was Superboy or whatever, but in terms of, to me, writing the kind of Superman that I would want to read. And, of course, his more even more than Burns was really influenced by Christopher Reeve. I mean, of course, Jeff Johns used to work with Richard Donner. He still has a connection to him. But there are scenes in Secret Origin, first off, the way Gary Frank draws him. He's drawing Christopher Reeve. Let's not kid yes. ourselves. He's also drawing Margot Kidder. Um, everybody else looks like your typical, you know, archetypal versions of those characters. But he's right. He's drawing, you know, those two uh, when he's drawing Superman and Lois Lane, um, particularly Superman. But so I, I appreciated that. It's interesting to reread it because at the time I really enjoyed the fact that he rescues her and he catches the helicopter and he's bringing Superman the movie and that whole world into this into into Secret Origin. Now though, I read it as I was you know getting ready for this. It kind of reminds you that it's not as good as Superman the movie. That the lines and <laughs> scenes that they use, the one-liners in Superman the movie, are so good. That when they do their versions of it, like he, she says to him, who are you? And, you know, in the movie, he says a friend, which is a great, simple answer. Here's like, oh, I'm just someone who wants to help. I'm like, no, 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 no. It, a friend is the right answer to that. It's, it's just in terms of the, the, you know, how lyrical that, that, you know, those lines of dialogue are. Um, but I still like the story. I like the fact that I, I prefer more than I did in Birthright's version of Lex Luthor. I prefer this version of Lex Luthor. Um, I still think that the Man of Steel's version of Lex Luthor is the best of them all. And I, and, you know, not to sound like a broken record, um, but, but how Lex Luthor handled is actually kind of a big deal to me. 
and and the version and we could talk about that too specifically. Sure, yeah. But but I like the way Luther's handled and and the way that Jeff Johns does a lot of his work is that what he tries to do is he tries to pull the best of all versions of Superman or any character and then put them together. So there it's not quite as exclusionary. Um and where you know Secret Origin is a real testament to that, but I agree with you 100% about Superboy and the Legion. I, I'm sorry to the fans who, who love the Legion. And the Legion is fine. Keep them in the 30th or 31st century or whatever. Maybe they could be inspired by Superman. Maybe they can be, you know, have met Superman himself at some point. And I do understand that if you're so invested in those characters and those kinds of stories, you don't want to see them fade away into nothingness. I completely understand that. I just prefer it that he wasn't Superboy. It works better because just the whole notion that this kid in Kansas, you know, I, I know we're not supposed to think too hard about this stuff because the whole idea, it's not plausible that a man can fly and do all this kind of stuff anyway. But the idea that nobody would make the connection that Superman was in Smallville and then some in this tiny town with only so many people in it. And then all of a sudden he shows up in Metropolis and nobody kind of starts drawing any comparisons or conclusions that, gee, now who from Smallville might have moved to Metropolis <laughs> and who might have, you know, it, it, it would be, especially someone, people as smart as, you know, Lois Lane and Lex Luthor would have figured it all out within a week you yeah. know, at most. Yeah. No, I know. Like, I'm cool with the idea that people in Smallville would know, but it's just like a town secret. Right. But I can, I can, I can buy that. But even and like the way Smallville, the, the the TV show handled it, this idea that people didn't really it was like it was a place where weird shit happened. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, with weird. Curse, sorry, okay. okay. Yeah. Where weird <laughs> shit happened, and it was just one of those things, and you know, this, this idea like this urban legend, almost like the Loch Ness monster. That I can, I'm totally. That's fine. You know, and, and also the way, you know, the, you see it, it happens in a couple of these stories where a tornado kind of explains why he's flying because he's just kind right, of whipping yeah. around in the air and mm-hmm. also why Man of Steel kind of blew that point when, you know, the idea, well, it's, uh, I don't want to get up. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. You know, there's a, not to get, not to get too far on this tangent, but there's a lot about the Snyder movies I'll defend. Mm-hmm. Um, the tornado thing, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's high. I really, I can't mm-hmm. muster an argument for that. No. But uh, I just want to pick up a, a point that you made about, uh, you know, how Secret Origin pulled in things from the movies, but it kind of made you recognize, like, well, it's not as good as the movie. Right. I-, I had a similar feeling reading Man of Steel, particularly the scene where Superman sits down with Lois. Right. And to me, on the page, he comes off as as kind of he's like kind of square. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in the movie, you ha- like there's that charm and mm-hmm. that like little bit of slyness. Yeah. Yeah. He's playing with her a little bit. Yeah. He, he, yeah. And it's yes. it's just like a different dynamic, and it doesn't always. It's also translate. the difference about seeing a great performance versus also reading it on the page. And as one as as wonderful as comic books are, and the and the advantages comic books have in telling ter- certain kinds of stories. Let's face it: having two terrific actors in roles that that you know that define them and they defined play that kind of. You're not going to beat that. You know, there, there's very little a comic can do to compete with what Margot Kidder and, and Christopher Reeve brought in that, in that scene in particular, let alone a lot of what happened in that movie. Right. And then we have uh, the most recent one, Superman yes. American Alien, right. written by screenwriter Max Landis, who right. did the film Chronicle uh, and a number of other things. Uh, each, so it's seven chapters, each one representing a different period in Clark's development. So 
I mean, it hits a lot of the beats of, of the traditional origin story, but it, it, I don't think it's trying to be that necessarily. It's just trying to give you a glimpse into the formation of, of Clark's character at these various points along the way. And each chapter is uh, illustrated by a different artist. Um, so they really each have their own style and their own feel. Um, this was pretty much all of them with the exception of Secret Origin, and I don't mean to dump on it, but pretty much all of these I enjoyed more on on this reading, which was my second or third mm-hmm. uh, for, for all of these. And uh, again, that's especially true for American Alien. I felt, I felt that it was the most relatable Clark that we've seen in any of these. Some, some could argue it's he's almost too relatable. <laughs> well, uh, my favorite is when he basically impersonates Bruce Wayne. You know, that, yeah. that to me, I, I thought that was hysterical. I thought that was a really inventive idea. And a really cool notion that, again, it's like, it answers, it has, I mean, because that's one of the things that has always gone through, I mean, you went, you, you kind of touched on it at the beginning, the whole idea of relatability. And people thinking of Superman, oh, he's too square, he's too this, no, no, he's actually not. And I think that is way too simplistic a viewpoint on the character, because when he's done well, he's a wonderfully written character, as we've seen in, in different media. Um but Superman has never real. It's been touched on, but I think it, I think American Alien did it best in bringing the Peter Parker quality, and by that I mean the original. Remember, everybody, you know, the great power comes great responsibility, and the reason for that is that Peter's first instinct when he found that he had these powers is I want to make money. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna have revenge on all those you know those jerks who were giving me a hard time in high school. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to use this for personal gain and screw anybody else who gets in my way. And it's not quite the same thing here, obviously, but that's a natural impulse. And and what I thought that, that Stanley and, and Steve Ditko answered beautifully, of course, in that story was, here's why that doesn't work. It, it addresses the idea that that is a natural impulse for particularly a teenager to have that kind of selfish, kind of narcissistic, you know, uh, impulse. But then with Superman, it's his family who kind of draws him, you know, kind of frames him. And in other cases, you know, in Superman's, Spider-Man's cases, most famously, he's, you know, he, you know, his Uncle Ben gets killed and then he realizes with great power comes great responsibility. But that's one of the things that was my favorite parts of American Alien is that it, it kind of addresses that issue with Clark, this idea that, you know, hey, you know, maybe I can go have a good time and, you know, I could be Bruce Wayne. And, and I thought that that was really kind of neat. Um, American, the thing about American Alien that always, I wouldn't say confused me is again, well, I guess it kind of confused me is that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading it. I liked it. I particularly liked the different artists who were on it, which we should probably name. It's Nick yeah. Dragata, Tommy Lee Edwards, Joel Jones, Jay Lee, Francis Manipal, Jonathan Case, and Jock. I mean, these are, these are prime comic book artists. Every one of them is, is a terrific artist. So, I mean, it's real A-list uh, quality uh, uh, stuff here. Again, it's that, do we need another origin story? I, is it necessary? I mean, we're, and, st- and the other question, and it's not, again, really not that important. Was it intended to be canonical? Because they never really said. It was kind of like left there that it might be, it might not be. Earth One, those books where they said very clearly, this is not canonical, this is this other Earth However, it's also another origin story. So every time you turn around with Superman, it's an origin story. So when I read it, I was like, oh, this is fine. I, like, I kind of like what it's bringing to it, some of his background and, and, and adding some of the darkness to the story. But at the same time, it was enjoyable. But I could have, if it had never come out, I would have been perfectly fine with that too because I've seen enough versions of the story. Right. Yeah, I know they, yeah, right. I don't think we ever got a definitive answer. Um, but I mean, to your point, I mean, maybe, it, you know, 
as you've argued with, you know, like the three jokers and all that right. stuff, like, you know, you make your own. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter if you like the story, you like the story and you can have it stand in for your favorite origin story or, or what have you. The other thing that we're not also talking about is the very brief redo of the origin that they did after, you know, cause the new 52, they did a, they, they kind of interwove with Morrison, the idea of the golden age version, the, the, you know, social justice focused Superman wearing jeans and a t-shirt and all of that. And then, and then kind of playing around with the origin there. And then when everybody really didn't respond well to that version of Superman, just a couple, you know, last year, I guess it was when they did Superman reborn, they did another origin that basically said, okay, we're going to take the pre 52 and the post 52 and we're kind of merging them together. But there are still a lot of, you know, uh, uh, there's still some holes in that origin story, but to me, I'm fine with it. You know, right. it's because again, in my mind, it's, it's Grant Morrison's one page is what's the most important. True. And they're all imaginary stories. Yeah. After right, all. Right. But uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, this, I mean, I really, we're, we're hitting really, you know, the major tellings, but right, not all of them. So, right, right we're not discussing the, uh, the, the Morrison uh, New 52 stuff. So, and I'm sure there are other, you know, other treatments of the origin, even if it was just like a single issue thing sure. somewhere along the way. But, uh, you know, I feel like these, these have already and will continue to give us plenty to talk about. Just one thing I wanted to mention about American Alien, you know, you talked about the, the issue where he impersonates Bruce Wayne and his mm-hmm. good time. And along those lines, I mean, you know, he hooks up with the woman on right. the, on the yacht and it's, it's the kind of thing where reading it for the first time, it, it like you know you kind of you taken aback by it because right. it's it's a departure from what's come before but it, i liked it because it's like who said this guy has to be a monk right i mean he's a young man it, it it's like makes he, sense. he should well it's i, I this is the thing <laughs> that that uh, this actually kind of goes to the to the to the heart of of superman and, and why i did and again not to dump on man of steel um but the understanding of what makes the character tick and I, i've long been of the mind that for most people, if you are Superman, you probably figure out that you've hit the jackpot. I mean, it, it, to me, there's no reason if you're Superman for you to be, mor- I mean, everybody has human emotions and he is in a sense, you know, he's a human being because that's the way he was raised and, and his, his makeup is. But I mean, you look like that. You can do all these wonderful things. You have a really strong moral compass you have wonderful friends. You have a you have a, a a wonderful spouse, or at least a girlfriend, depending on which version of the story we're talking about. Right. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you got to figure that if you looked like him and could do what he do, you, you'd think that he'd go off and be a twenty year old and do the things that typical twenty year olds do, or or whatever. And I found that eminently refreshing. That yes. it was not just that he was a monk; that he was you're right, like he's he's much more relatable in that way, um, in a way that I didn't think hit you over the head with it. It was just telling you, what, I mean, it's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right, sure, like, of course he would do that. Why exactly. Not? Like it just happens. It didn't really harm anything. Right. right. Like it's not antithetical to the, to the right. core of the characters, not exactly. undermining anything. Exactly. Exactly. Because it makes me think of uh, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Right. He was a virgin. Right. In that, in that right. show. Right. Uh, until Which he and Lois like, got come, married. Like, come on. Yeah, that's the thing. I, like, yeah. So, come on. So that was refreshing. And, and along a similar line, the fact that he tells Pete and Kenny his secret. Right. In American Alien. Right. And it's, Again, it's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, like he probably would tell his buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I, I like that a lot. I well, thought sure that. he would because I mean, he told Lana in most of these tellings too when he was a yes. teenager. So I mean, why wouldn't he tell his best friend? Poor Lana, and almost all of these versions. I know she thinks she's getting a ring. I know she she gets the shaft every time, particularly in the Man of Steel. 
I mean, they make it like a tragedy that he told her that he could fly. And then he's like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> he's like, oh, what about me? And like 10 years walking the earth, like, you know, depressed. Yeah. Lana, Lana, I, Lana's kind of the thing that I think, I mean, we're getting really far afield here with, with this, but Lana doesn't really, she, she's, she doesn't, she doesn't get a lot of, it's not the respect, but I think that. I don't think that people know what to do with her because I'm not crazy with the whole idea of her being superwoman and having these powers. And I also don't like the idea of her being this, you know, you know, the, this depressed, you know, person and all of that. I mean, she should just be an old friend. I think that that would be perfectly legit. So old friend, not first love. Oh, first love and old yeah. friend. I mean, first one who becomes an old friend, you know, right. someone who, yeah, sure. They were, they were, they fell in love when they were in high school, but most people don't marry their high school sweethearts. And I think that that's also what's realistic about it is that they both moved on, you know, or, I mean, in, in Burns retelling, she didn't want to move on, but at the same time, I think you, you easily could credibly tell a story where they both moved on for, you know, whatever reason, maybe they just wanted different things in life. I think that would have been perfectly fine. Right. You know, I want to continue with this small sure. thread, but we'll come back to that because, right. you know, in, in terms of our, you know, our thematic discussion, you know, some of these origin stories begin with Krypton. So right. maybe we could start there. Uh, I mean, we've already, you know, addressed this previously that, you know, I think for both of us, it's a part we could probably do without right. in a lot of these tellings. Um, but you said you liked the depiction of Krypton in Man of Steel. That was a very cold and sterile version of Krypton where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, children aren't even created in the, in the natural no, there's, way there's no sex <laughs> right yeah i i like it because it is it throws into sharp relief and this is one of the it, this is the big big theme and and it was something that burn really set out to do and was important to him to do because you're looking at the previous i mean if this is 1986 you're really looking at the previous 30 to 40 years not the earliest part of superman in the golden age but later golden age, really the Mort Weisinger years, certainly all through the silver age and well into the bronze age. The idea that, and I was kind of touching on it before that Krypton constantly shows up and I'm not talking about, you know, general Zod or, 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 you know, dev M or any of these other, but it was super horses and monkeys and super this and candor visits and this one and this one and Superman gets to go back and super baby. And, the, and all of the, all of that Krypton stuff that a lot of people really love left me cold. And it was part of the reason why I couldn't get into it. And, it was, it just didn't appeal to me. And so the idea that this focus on Superman is being an, an earthling, although a Kryptonian by birth is something that, that really does appeal to me. Um, also, and I know I'll hit this, I hit this point a lot about Superman in the movie is that I thought that the, that struck the perfect balance of, he is clearly of this planet, but he has a strong sense of his legacy. And Man of Steel basically emulates that. It opens up with this idea it very similarly, doesn't, you know, aesthetically it's not the same, but here is this, you know, basically distant cold world, um, scientifically focused, and it has it, it has a very specific way that it 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 its society is, you know, is is created or at least what it what it's evolved into. And then you get him to earth and it, it, it changes the tone. It's like the difference. It's like the wizard of Oz, you know, the, the, the first 15 minutes being in black and white and then boom, right. you have, you know, technicolor. And I kind of see the same way. The idea of Krypton being this cold, you know, whether it's icy or whether it's a green planet or however you want to do it aesthetically, but this idea that he, this is where he comes from, but what makes him who he is as a person, the idea of what his values are comes from him being here, um, his parents, his earth parents, his friends. And that is to me what makes him relatable. Not the Krypton stuff doesn't make him relatable to me. It's the earth stuff that makes him relatable. 
Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's probably what I appreciate most about what Byrne did was the emphasis on the man right. over, over the super part. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, that makes uh, a lot of sense. It's, it's interesting. So out of these five, we only see Krypton in Man of Steel and Birthright. Right. We only spend time on Krypton. Right. Um, but it's interesting in, in most of them, um, Clark's knowledge of where he comes from and when he finds out about where he comes from changes yes. in, in a lot of these. Yeah. Uh, was there a particular sequence of events, I guess, that that worked better for you than, than another? No, I mean, I just, uh, the idea that, that his, I always, I, I always thought it made the most sense that his powers evolved in the, as he grew, that he was always strong and he was invulnerable as a baby or as a child but the different powers manifested themselves at different parts in his in his physical development which of course was a big thing in Smallville. Yeah. Each uh, season. A huge thing, right. Each season, he had a new power. Right, but it made sense and uh, you know the, always using the, the joke that, that the heat vision is is you know is basically puberty. Yeah. You know, and we got to see that play out. Right, Secret it plays Origin. out in Secret Origin you borrowed that idea that that when whenever he's you know gets excited his eyes start to you know. So it's used for comedic effect. So I like that idea. As far as when he finds out he could be 18, he could be 15, he could be 12, I wouldn't care. It really doesn't matter to me. Um, I don't, I mean, that was the one thing about Man of Steel was that I, he doesn't really find out until he's an adult. Yeah. That he he knows he's something, he might be Russian, he might be in, you know, which made, again, yeah, the, cold, the Cold War elements that yeah, are there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you see that at play big time. Yeah. Right, which, which, which really does fit the time you know it dates the story but it does it doesn't well maybe it doesn't anymore but um, well, yeah i know everything yeah <laughs> everything but i know it's well, funny it's lex like, luther i mean we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah, to that yeah you know, i mean there was a <laughs> lex luther was let's not forget who lex luther was based on in john burns version but we'll get to that um yeah uh the, the megalomaniac uh, uh, uh corporate titan who likes to put his name on everything i don't know who he could be thinking of um but yeah, whether he found out, a, you know, that, that to me was never that interesting. But I, I like the idea of him being 18, 19 years old. And that's what also helps to compel him to go and seek out his destiny. Like, like in the you know, Superman, the movie, the idea that this, that's kind of when he figures it all out. Right. So here's one of the things that like, that bugged me a little bit with the sequence in Man of Steel. So, you know, he grows up thinking he's the natural son of Jonathan right. and Martha. Until they, until Jonathan shows him the ship after the right. big football game, and so up until that point, Clark knows he has these abilities, but you know doesn't know anything about them. And then he finds the ship, and and it's you know I could be an alien or Russian, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's what kind of prompts him to say, okay, like I need to do more with my powers. I didn't feel that the ship was was really enough to account for why he would feel he had this other i mean I, I guess as i'm saying it maybe it does make make more sense but i don't know i felt like we needed a little bit more there like in four all seasons when uh the tornado hits and, right. and he has this moment where it's like what if i could have done more and he goes right. to talk to the priest he's like if there's someone who could have who could have saved everybody who could have helped wouldn't that person have that obligation to do that i felt like that was more compelling than Oh, like I just won the football game. I'm riding high. Oh, wait, I came in this thing. Okay, I need to do something with my life. It was that and also him figuring out that he had these, you know, he, he figures out he can fly was a lot to it. It was like, okay, wait, wait, hold on. You're right. It, it is given short shrift. I mean, he's the, in the six issues and he covers 10 years. There isn't, I agree with that they, and it was particularly noticeable when I reread it this time preparing for this podcast was the fact that they don't really get into his motivation as far as that it is kind of given short trip and he kind of in the same way that it kind of like okay we're gonna put an s on my chest too and 
that kind of right. thing is also kind of just rushed together at the end of the first issue because I think that they wanted to the first issue in its own way covers more ground in terms of the Superman development than the rest of the other issues do because it has to deal with, it has to establish Krypton. It has to establish why he was sent. It has to establish him growing up in Smallville. It has to establish him coming to Metropolis without a costume. It has to establish why he would put on the costume. And I think they probably were very, very, very cognizant of the fact that at the end of the first issue, they wanted him in the costume. Yeah. So you, you have to get him from babyhood to costume in one issue. Whereas the rest of the issues have a lot more room to breathe because now he's here. So now we can introduce his relationship with Lois and Lex and throw Jimmy into the mix and the daily planet and all, and even Batman, which is, uh, you're going to laugh, but to me, the one serious off note in the entire series, the one issue that didn't need to be told, they could have done it in five issues. If they had left out the whole Batman sequence, I would have been perfectly happy. Oh, fascinating. I never bought even, even then when I read it, I never bought, the way they introduced the characters. I never bought the way that they, they, their regard for each other. I never bought magpie <laughs> magpie. That's, that's the villain that they were going to have be this big bad that Superman and Batman had to take down. Yes. It was a curious, magpie. It was a curious choice. <laughs> magpie just for, for, for a little bit of history, post-crisis they did want to introduce some characters magpie was introduced in batman right around this time she was a brand new character and clearly they were investing this idea that she was going to be something because they introduced her in batman it was either they introduced her in batman and, and introduced her in man of steel either it was roughly the same time but to to inject her into the, to me it, it it really dates the story because otherwise it's timeless but it's a terrible villain and the way that they act, it just, the whole thing just rings wrong to me. Yeah. I mean, going back to the, again, the, the Krypton aspect of this and when Clark finds out about his origins, uh, in Man of Steel's defense, at least at that point, uh, when they come up with the shield, he had already been named Superman right. in the newspaper. Sure. So well, at least we'll, we'll, right. uh, we'll Which give them that's that. the one thing all of them have to kind of answer for <laughs> because if he's as humble as he really is, He'd never want to be called Superman. He'd say, right. you can call me Cal or you right. can call me something. Don't call me Superman. That's kind of silly. But it's, you know, Superman is a corporate titan, you know, corporate mascot, I mean, and he is Superman and he's been around for 80 years and that's his name. Right. So that's something that modern writers have always had to, to kind of struggle with the idea of like, how do we get away with this guy actually being willing to call himself Superman and put a gigantic S on his chest uh, right. besides. Uh, but so, yeah, so he doesn't find out about the, the Krypton of all of this until the final issue of Man right. of Steel when he's sort of downloaded with everything right. um, and comes to the conclusion that despite where he's from, it's Earth that made him right. who he is. And it's a nice moment to end yes. on. Again, the sequence of it for me is not my favorite. Uh, Secret Origins, probably the most traditional version. The Kents yeah. show him the ship, the hologram pops right. up and he finds out where he's from and then right. he's the last of his race. And it does lead to, um, I do think one of, one of the more emotional moments, and uh, we got to see this in Man of Steel, and I thought it worked well in the movie as well, where, you know, Clark is upset, and Jonathan goes to him, and Clark's like, you know, can I, can I keep, just keep pretending I'm your son? Right. And that moment of like, you are my son. Right. Uh, so I, I like that a lot. Uh, so that was, you know, again, more traditional depiction. Uh, Birthright was interesting, because he has the ship and the knowledge that he comes from somewhere else, and he has all of the imagery, right. uh, but can't really make sense of it. And it's Lex 
right. uh, later on in the who story who uh yeah helps him in the nastiest well, way possible well, i mean yeah i don't mean it's not it's not altruistically i mean that in the in, yes without it's lex who who translates for him essentially right and then birthright also gives us this idea of of the shield um as a sim not just a, a symbol of the of the family which we saw in, in, in the movie in the movie yeah, yeah. um but that which was a, a great i, I, yes. I thought the most simplistic and really great way an elegant way of handling it. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, but this took it a step further. The, the fact that it was like a you know a flag for for right. Krypton and, and symbolized hope, and um, and the fact that he would you know design a costume costume like this because he was inspired right. by um, you know by what he had seen in in, in all of these images. Sure. So um, and um, one thing that I think was a, a a neat twist was the end of Birthright, where um, you know through the wormhole or whatever that Lex right. creates, uh, he's able to get a message to, to, his, his, to his parents yeah. as the planet is exploding. Yeah. I thought that was a, that was a powerful moment. Right. Um, anything else along the, the, oh, oh, American Alien. That was actually something too that as far as like touching moments, uh, when Pete and Kenny come to visit Clark uh, after he's already made his debut as, mm-hmm. as Superman and uh, Pete's kind of giving Clark a hard time. Uh, ultimately, we find out later in the issue, it's, you know, he's, he's worried about Clark. Sure. Um, but it's coming off, it, maybe it seems like he's jealous or whatnot, and he asks Clark, why would you wear that symbol? And Clark says, it's like, so so my parents might find me. <laughs> you know, because he's like, I've been on TV, like maybe right. those images get beamed up into space. It's like, if they see that, maybe they'll know where I am and right. they'll come for me. Um, and similarly there, just as in Birthright, when Lex broke the news to, <laughs> to Superman right. and Krypton was gone, in American Alien, we get Lobo right. uh, delivering that news in the final issue that, that he's the last of his kind. Right. And Clark seems starts to cry yeah uh so again american alien in particular gave us a number of instances where clark is scared he's stuttering when you know when when he's talking to lex um that reminds me of another moment we're jumping off the krypton thing for a moment but um two of my favorite moments and brian i keep going back to birthright but two of my favorite moments in birthright are uh, when he's about to make his de- public debut in costume, and he whispers to himself, "Please don't let me look ridiculous." Yeah, right, right. Uh, which I thought was was a lot more effective than the Secret Origin moment when he comes down the stairs in the oh, costume, I love that and he's scene. like, "I'm oh, never wearing hysterical. this again." Uh, no, it was, it was like Ralphie in the pink bunny outfit in a Christmas story. <laughs> no, I thought that was great. This idea, that, and, his, and the way Gary Frank draws him <laughs> yes. with his shoulders hunched, he's like, "Ah," and then later on, also before he puts, you know. When when they when he makes his debut in Metropolis wearing the outfit and he says to himself if he's changing he says please don't make this too tight you yeah know, he's also he's like mm-hmm, but here we go and 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 I kind of like that it's it's a, it's it's cute again it's one of these things where they where the writers clearly feel that they need to address the inherent silliness of the Superman outfit in you know as far as modern eyes are it is kind of you know superhero outfits are silly but you kind of have to roll with it and 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 I don't mind if they have little little jokey things about it I just um, it's better than frankly what they did in the new 52 which is put him in armor or or right, yeah. you know le- you, you can have your you know you have your little jokey you know moments about the outfit but leave the outfit alone and the fact that DC has finally gone back and giving him other than the little 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 cuffs that they gave him as a nod to whatever they needed to do to make it different um leave it alone because again to go back to if if, one of christopher reeve's greatest achievements and gifts to comic book fans everywhere is that he didn't look ridiculous in the outfit yeah and it's part of what sold that movie so well as that if if you can walk around 
around Gene Hackman and, you know, you know, and, and, you know, a Margot Kidder and basically 1970s New York City, you know, the, the baddest, toughest city on the planet, you know, and not look foolish, you've accomplished what you set out to do. And that's, you know, and to me, I think comics should just simply take their cues from that. Did you see the footage that, uh, from Henry Cavill's, I don't know if it was screen test or whatnot. Yeah, where yeah it was sure, it was right in the original, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I thought it worked there too. Of course it did. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, again, you know, just jumping to the movies for a second. I mean, for all of their shortcomings, uh, I think he he was it was and is a great Superman. I hope we get to see him take another turn at it. Uh, now that he's been able to play some different colors of the character, I want to see more of that. Colors being the operative word, but yeah, in more, more ways than yeah, one. More but ways yeah, more ways than one. Yeah, I think he's perfectly fine. I've never been had a I've never had a beef with him in the role at all. It's all about it, it's been about the approach yeah. to the character. But he's been fine. Yeah. yeah, and he's got a sense of humor, and he's got a, a delivery. I like him. The scene in Man of Steel when uh, Lois asks him about the S, and he's like, "It's not an S." That yeah. little bit of again, that little slyness. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say about Birthright that uh, just one of my favorite moments is, you know, early on in the story when Clark is on his Odyssey, he's traveling the world, he's reporting stories, and you know, one thing that he keeps running into is that he's you know living and working among people, and then he sooner or later will use his powers and reveal himself, and mm-hmm. they're scared. Right. Um, and at that point, he's not in a costume. And part of the idea, I think, is that it's a bit of a betrayal that he's been among them. Right. And then all of a sudden, he you know he does these amazing things. So that's one of the reasons why he wants to have a costume. So it's like people see him coming. It's it's not um, you know a trick or surprise or anything right. like that. And there's this also moment, why he doesn't wear a mask. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, when he makes his debut and and he saves Lois and she's you know uh, like telling him where to go next and he has this moment where he's like she's not afraid. Right. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I, and, and that's something I've also struggled with in terms of that. That's a, a thematic. I, I always thought that Byrne did it best with the idea that, that people would want a piece of him and would want make demands of him and would want to um, touch him even, you know, just because it would be such, people would see it as a, um, there would definitely be people who would see this as a religious experience. Yes. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, if, if, a, if a man came down and could fly and do these wonderful things, cults would pop up you know there would be religious people would be claiming that they were having religious experiences because of it so i think that's inherently realistic the idea that people would necessarily be afraid of him and the idea that that you know to somehow darken superman or put him into i always thought that there was something really kind of cynical about that and something i didn't like i always thought you know you're 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 trying to force this idea because of someone who looked like superman this handsome friendly guy who by his actions alone has shown consistently that he is trying to help i think people would buy that however as we have seen particularly and not to get too political not to get you know really into the nitty-gritty of it but particularly in reading some of these stories again for the first time in a while i can't help but be i i couldn't escape what has gone on in our political discourses what's going on now and so yes alex luthor would be able to manipulate public imagination and public thought that people would necessarily turn on Superman if someone charismatic enough were somehow to point out that he were alien, that he were, that he is different, that he is not necessarily, that we cannot trust him, that even if what he says is straightforward and would on the face of it seem to be honest and honorable, 
you'd find a way to corrupt that. So I do now kind of see where that issue would need to be addressed. So my views on that have changed because the world has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm glad you addressed that because that was something I noticed too, going from Man of Steel where yes, they all want a piece of him right. to you know Birthright and Secret Origin where he has to win the people over right. where they're distrustful of him. Which I never bought until I started reading him again, like I said. Yeah. No, no, I, no, I mean, I understand. Um, as far as, you know, so we talked about the, the Krypton aspect and, you know, when and how he finds out about uh, where he's from. Um, as far as Smallville goes, mm-hmm. and, well, I guess there are a number of components to this. Uh, the depiction of the Kents, they get younger and younger right. <laughs> and more vibrant. And, and sometimes they live, sometimes they die. Okay, I'm glad you brought this up. So, uh, your definitive version Right. Does Jonathan in particular, does Jonathan live yeah. or does, yeah. Because what, what is the, what is the value in having him die from a storytelling standpoint? Exactly. Why kill him? There's only one instance. And I think I, I wrote about it in the article. One instance where I, I get it. And it's the, probably the most compelling argument that I can come up with. It's, uh, in Superman, the movie, yes. when he's standing at the grave with Martha right. and I get, I get choked up when I, every time yeah. I watch it oh. and I got to watch it yeah. in on the big screen for the first time in yeah. my life when Alamo screened it. Right. And it was great. I mean, I've seen it so many Did times. Did I see you there? No, I don't think. Because I, w- I was oh, there maybe, that maybe, night. I, I was remember. wearing this shirt. No, fact. maybe yeah. I did actually. Yeah. Um, but it was such a cool experience and I've done that now with It's a Wonderful Life mm-hmm. and the Rocky movies and it's, it's one thing to watch them on your own, but you go and you see them on a big screen. Oh, and yeah. It's cool it's too. Because it's like you watch it on your own and, you know, certain things make you laugh or whatever. And then to watch it with other people and it's like, oh, like, we, you know, right. you, you have a similar shared experience like that. So that was really cool. But I always get choked up when he's at Jonathan's grave and he's like, all these powers, like all these things I can do and I couldn't save him. Right. So if it serves the purpose of, of illustrating to Clark, the, you know, the limits and the fact that he's still always going to try, even though he'll never be able to save everyone... I, I'm kind of okay with it, but I much, much, much prefer the version where the Kens are there. They're still a part of his life. They represent Smallville. He goes there and he can he can seek their counsel, especially early in his journey when uh, Lois is not in on the secret yet and right. he doesn't have people that he can really confide in. Right. I feel like there's a lot that um, you know we, we can learn about what he's thinking and things like that. So for me, and part of this, I'm sure a big part, is informed by the fact that that's the version I grew up reading. So sure. during the comics in the nineties and Lois and Clark, it's like the parents were there. Uh, so that's, that's the version that I, that I prefer as well. I, I prefer it for another reason, which is death is a part of life. And every one of us is, is it's, it's, it's what we all share in common. We are all going to die and we all know people who are going to die. You can't escape that. And people are gonna say, well, it's real life and you want them to you know deal with real life issues. Yes, of course. But what, I liked about the idea of him not losing his parents is that every other superhero in the universe lost their parents. Yes. They're all orphans or they're all damaged or they all had these traumatic experiences that drive them. I, what I, what part of what makes Superman so appealing to me, and I say this as a Batman fan, who's, you know, obviously the opposite is I like the fact that he's an adult who has parents who are still alive that he can call them up and ask for advice or just to you know, talk or, you know, chat about the ball game or hang out with mom and you know, whatever mom's doing. And I I just like that about him because it makes him unique in that respect. I mean, that's one of the things, particularly when they've redone a lot of the origins over the last 10 or 20 years, they've added these elements of, of tragedy. They've added these elements of dead parents, you know, the flash green lantern. Yeah. When you were saying that, that's immediately what I went to, which didn't used to be there. They did not used to be there. And, and to, to make that a, a, almost like a prerequisite of, of the superhero life, I figured now let Superman's parents be, 
let him be because it doesn't really change anything. And the idea of his limitations, and I agree with you, it's really effectively done in the movie and it does help to drive him and, or it helps him to drive, it helps drive him to make the decision he makes at the end of the movie about whether to interfere with what happens with Lois. So from a storytelling standpoint, there's, there's a payoff there, but thematically it, yes, it, it also shows him, you know, these are, it does show that Superman does have his limits, even though then he exceeds those limits. Um, but those limits can be shown in other ways. You don't have to do it through his parents. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I really could do without seeing uh, another depiction where Jonathan's clutching his heart and he goes no. down. And then have Superman guy. sitting on the floor weeping. It's like, I know, I mean, look, I, I appreciate those scenes where Superman does become overwhelmed with emotion because again, it, it humanizes him and all of that. But again, every time I, like I saw it even in was the end of Superman and Brainiac the way mm-hmm. with Jeff Johns, mm-hmm. it was the same thing. I kind of felt like this is my shoulder sagged when I read it and not because I was, I was moved by the story. It was like, really? Come on. Do we have to do this again? Yeah. yeah. And that's, and not to knock Johns. Cause I cannot, I, I, oh, because really I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I loved his run. I just, it yeah. wasn't perfect, but I really loved, I also felt like what frustrated me about Johns' run is it never really finished. He kind of, he kind of stopped in the middle because then they handed it off yeah. to the new Krypton stuff exactly. or whatever. But what he did do, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. No, I agree. I actually recently revisited the, uh, the last son arc Right. Uh, and Brainiac, and, right. and those those two in particular. My favorite, right? actually, in that one, ironically enough, is the Legion. You know, what he oh did yeah, the, the Legion. I really love the Legion uh, arc yeah. that he did. Yeah, yeah. I know. I said I didn't like Clark's time as as a youngster with the Legion, but I, I did enjoy that that yeah. story that you. But just he was referenced. He, but right, he was but he was adult, a, exactly, which I yeah. which I thought was perfect. Yep. I that was a great way of handling it. Yeah, anyway. I mean, I like on the note of the Legion. I mean, I love the idea that this is a group that's been inspired by right. his legacy. Which perfect. Is great. Right. I liked what they did on the Smallville TV show, where Legion comes to him. Right. That's fine. I'll take that too. Anyway, um, I trying to remember where I was going to go uh, next with this. Um, oh, on the note of, of the Kents. Right. So, yeah, so in Man of Steel and For All Seasons, they're quite elderly. Right. By the time we get to yeah. Birthright, they're a lot younger. I love- well, all TVs and movies. They're, they're, they're matching the TVs and the movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so by TV the time Birthright yeah. came around, we had Smallville, the TV show, right. where you had John Schneider and Annette O'Toole, and they right. were part of the action. I'll always remember the season four finale when they battle- uh, Jason Teague, the character played by Jensen Ackles, right. and like they're brawling right. in the Kent house, like they're right. really going at it. Like I loved it; it was great. Uh, one of the one of the twists on this that I really liked in Birthright was the idea that Martha would uh, be like this UFO expert, right? And uh, I think in the back, you know, Wade uh, has his has his notes about it, and he he talked about how you know if you have a child with a developmental disability, for right. example, like you become an expert on that, you do right. all this research. So it made sense that Martha would, um, yeah, you know, would kind of go uh, that route. Um, another thing that was a little bit different here, you know, certainly a, a difference from from Birthright and and Secret Origin as well, where you know in those instances, um, in Man of Steel, Jonathan has the idea. Right. right, to don the costume. In Secret Origin, Martha's like, your clothes keep getting torn, so I'm right. going to create this. And the parents are very much on board with it. In Birthright, Clark comes to them with this idea of like, I this is something that I need to do. And Jonathan really wrestles with that. I thought mm-hmm. that was, again, going back to relatability, um, sort of having that sort of divide with, with the parent mm-hmm. and, and finding common ground again. I thought that was very relatable. Sure. And when Clark has that moment where he talks to Jonathan about everything that Jonathan did, like going out on his own into the world right. um, and that he wasn't, you know, following in his footsteps in that way. Uh, I thought that that worked very well. It, it's just endearing to see an adult. I mean, I, and, and maybe it's also for me, it's, it's particularly poignant because my son is pretty much an adult now. He's a college student, you know, and we have conversations now that we could not have had 
five years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, certainly. So to see the idea that Superman would have someone to go to, someone to seek their counsel for certain things that you might not be able to talk to anybody else about, um, I, I think that's really moving and I think it's really poignant. And I think it's something that it, it's nice if it can be preserved. Yeah. Even even if he's happily married and because there are things that you might want to talk to a parent about that you wouldn't necessarily, or, you know, obviously in the ideal marriage, you can talk to your, your spouse about anything, but still having your father, or your mother there to, to give you a, a different viewpoint is healthy and helpful, you know, if you have the kind of relationship that Superman has with his parents. Right. So uh, shifting, I guess, to the metropolis yes. side yes. of it. This is my yeah. favorite. Yes. <laughs> One thing that I, I, I particularly wanted to ask you about as a journalist yourself. Yes. Um, how do you feel about, uh, in Man of Steel in particular, in the second issue of Clark uh, beating Lois to the Superman story, basically writing about himself? It's unethical completely, but it's funny. I mean, that's it all. Fu- it's, it's, yeah. re- it's really unethical. It's not something. <laughs> but, you know, he's got he's to pay the rent, you know. <laughs> you know, at the same time, the dude's got to, you know, he's got to, he's, it's certainly not something he should do. It's really not, you know, but then again, we don't have flying people with dual identities as far as we know anyway running around. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give him a pass on that. It just, it works for, for the humor of it. Um, it is also that's Burns' way of telling you that this is a different Clark Kent than what we have seen before. And and it kind of goes to that idea of what you were talking about, the more assertive um, version of Clark Kent as opposed to the bumbling version. And I agree with you. Um, I actually do prefer that Clark Kent to the bumbling Clark Kent. I think that the the bumbling Clark Kent, I mean, Christopher Reeve did it with such charm right. that, I'm, that I'm cool with it because mm-hmm. it, because it was sly and because the way he would look under his glasses or whatever the, or his cold moments where, you know, the, 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 not, not him being cold, but the, the, the cold comment when she says to him, you know, anyone more like you at home? He goes, uh, no, not really. <laughs> that deadpan <laughs> deliver, right. The way you're left, it's still, and, and, and you talk about something that we saw in the movie theater, everybody broke up at that. You know, you knew you know, it's coming. You've heard it a thousand times, but it's great. So that's one place where it works. I think in secret origin, it definitely felt overcooked. And frankly, I think in for all seasons too, they, they kind of make him kind of a bumpkin in all for all seasons, which I never really, I, I could understand the loneliness and I could understand him being unsure of himself, but they also kind of made him a bit of a rube, which I, I, I there's a fine line between making him mild mannered and being a little innocent. And I, and I, I, you know, I, I, I think that what I liked about what Byrne did, and I remembered at the time we talked about it is that he wanted to make it more like the George Reeves, Clark Kent, because when you watch those old shows that Clark Kent carries the show, I mean, he really is, I mean, for the, for the half hour, 20 minutes, it's Clark Kent and the last 10 minutes is Superman. And so you can't watch him bumbling around for 20 minutes. He's the, he's the intrepid reporter. He's really the leader of the, of the planet's reporting crew. You know, you've got Lois and Jimmy kind of as his wing people. And it's done in a way that you wouldn't, you, you do kind of forget that they're the same guy. And I think the idea that, that, that Byrne made him more confident more, you know, aware of his appearance, but was able to disguise him in a way by doing his hair, wearing his glasses, maybe slouching a little bit. If that whole notion of, if you weren't looking for it, then you wouldn't see it. Yes. 
And that's something that I, I still think that Lois would have figured out on day one. Right. And I, and I, and I, and I always, I thought, I always thought that there, there, there've been some really great riffs on that over the years. But if you're not, if you're assuming that, because unless he tells you, why would you necessarily assume that Superman is sitting two cubicles over? Right. You wouldn't really think of it. You might think, Jesus, that guy looks like Superman. Do you ever say, anybody say you look like, I mean, that, that to me would be the best way to handle it. Anybody ever say you look like Superman? Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's all they, that's it, right. We literally got that in yeah. American Alien. Right. Where, exactly. Pete, where right. Pete says to him, like, uh, yeah. like, what do you just wear your glasses all the time? And Clark's like, a lot of times I don't. And you know what yeah. people say? You look a lot like Superman. Superman. Right, exactly. Because, because people wouldn't, you know, you right. wouldn't think of it. You'd just say, you know, I mean, I, I know how many, I'm sure people in your life have said, you know who you look like? You look like so-and-so. Yeah, I get that a lot. I've gotten, before I had my LASIK, yeah. uh, and I had, you know, I normally would wear contacts, but every now and then I would I would be lazy and just throw my glasses on. Right. And at work, there were a couple of times where like people were like, oh, I didn't recognize you at first. Right. So I've never had that hard a time uh, suspending my disbelief right. when it comes to that. Especially when you factor in all these other things that are addressed where, you know, the glasses, uh, you know, hide the, the blue in his eyes, right? right? Or uh, the fact that he changes his posture and, and right. his voice. Uh, Birthright talks about, um, you know, studying acting, like he has acting books. Right. So, yeah. so all that stuff always made sense to me. And I, I never had a hard time buying that the person walking by, right. you know, wouldn't make the connection. And I feel like these days, more than ever, it's believable because everyone's yes. just buried in their phone. Yes. So it's like, no, yeah. and again, you're not thinking about it. It's not right. like he said, like he's, as Superman is like, you right. know, maybe I'll pass you on the street one day and then everyone's looking. Right. Um, but I agree 100%. The, the part that's really, really a stretch. I feel like anyone who interacts with both Clark and Superman on a regular basis would have to put it together. Right. And to me, that's that's Lois and that's Jimmy and that's Perry. Though right. Perry, I've always believed, knows. Like, he's, he's he knows. He's it's just like, cool it's like about it. like, does Gordon know that Batman like, is yeah, Bruce Wayne? Yeah. That's my feeling with yeah. both of those guys. It's like, they know and they're just yeah. cool about it. Yeah. That's always been my feeling, but... I, the, 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 the only one that I think it really stretches it would be Lois. Yeah. You know, that would be the one where it's like, she, she has to know. They, she's too smart. Right. Day one, she's got to say, hold on a second, mister. And it would actually make, you know, you're, you're throwing out, you know, decades of comic book history and, and <laughs> concepts and all of that to do it. And I understand that. But that's actually why I like the married you know, I like the idea that they are married and like that the fact that, that they brought that back into into the comic books and the fact that they have a son. Because I like the idea that she's his ally and she helps to protect his identity. Yeah. And I like that. That To me, that's that's much more interesting than the, is she going to find out? And she's thinking, and then the inevitable, oh, Lois, that's the stupidest thing you ever thought right. of. And we see that play out in, yeah. in a number of these. Yes. Um, going back to the Man of Steel movie, that's one of the things that I like that we didn't really have to waste time with that. You know, right. she's, you know, knows from the beginning. Um, so as far as, you know, the depiction of Clark, uh, again, I, I mean, I would take the assertive Clark over the bumbling one, but still my favorite is once again, birthright. Cause I feel like that splits the difference sure. where he's just more unassuming. And there's a great moment where he's interviewing with Perry and, um, you know, he's doing his shtick and then Perry's like, you know, speak up son. And he, like, right. he, he does so. And then he realizes bags of humility. <laughs> yeah. And then like he realizes he needs to dial it back and right. he has that moment and like he knocks over the pens and it's, right. I feel like it's that moment of like, like I have, like I have to do this. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what I liked. And uh, I know we've moved on to the metropolis portion, but just jumping back to Smallville for a moment, the depiction of Clark in Smallville changes over the course yes. of these tellings as well, yeah. where he's the football star, in Man of Steel. Which if, uh, to me, and again, I actually think that that Byrne, it, it's handled in different ways, but there, there are some, thematically, there's some similarities between the stories. But what I like in the way Byrne is that it kind of makes sense. 
Uh, in the same way that, and they address this in the TV show Smallville too, which yeah. I thought was good. If you look like Tom Welling, if you if you are built like him, if you, I mean, I not not to, I don't want to put too fine a point on it because I know we're not supposed to, you know, think in these terms. But frankly, as a society, we do. If you are built like him and look like him and can do the things that he can do and doesn't know the full extent of his ability, doesn't know he can fly, he doesn't have heat vision, he does all this kind of stuff. At least I don't think he does at that point in small in Man of Steel. Right. He would do that, that. That's that's kind of a natural thing for him to do. I'm really good at sports. I can do this. Then when he kind of overdoes it, that's when his father tells him, you know what? Don't don't get so, you know, don't fall in love with yourself there, pal. Right. I mean, that's another a role of a father to do is that he pulls his son back in and says, hold on a second. You need to learn some humility here. And I like that about him. I thought that it was used. It was a natural thing to think of Clark Kent if he wasn't Superboy, if he if he wasn't fully aware of his powers but knew he was something special he might go out for the football team and do really well. And his father might not necessarily be happy with the way it turned out. So th- using that as an instructive way to, again, to, to point out his need to be humble and his need to rein it in, I thought that was an effective way of doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, going back to Smallville, the TV show and, and these lessons of humility, one of my favorite moments from the pilot is after Clark has rescued Lex, when they go off the bridge, uh, Lex gifts Clark a new truck Right. And Clark's very happy about this. And, and you know, Jonathan reins him in and, and he's like, you know, you can't accept this. And Clark's like, well, why not? Like, I saved his life. And Jonathan's like, well, you think you deserve a prize? Right. Uh, right you're right. Yeah. You're not doing this for, for, for fame, fortune, and, and, right. and prizes. You're doing this because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So I have to say, as far as the, the depictions of Clark and Smallville, uh, in that case, I think Man of Steel probably is my favorite. I think, I right. think that makes sense. Going back to your other point, I'm so glad you brought this up about Clark as like a bumpkin in For All Seasons. Maybe we got that because, uh, unless I'm forgetting, For All Seasons doesn't address the world, the global odyssey that Clark often takes in his journey no, it before doesn't. he... No, Not to my recollection. I just uh, I just reread it again the other day, but I don't remember that. And I think that really is an important part mm-hmm. in his journey um, for a number of reasons. Which Birthright really hammers. Birthright gets into yeah. that. You know, the Man of Steel movie too, the fact yeah. that he's out there in the world um, and... I, I, like I said, I feel like what often gets shortchanged is that decision to uh, to put on the costume and become this other person. And and again, I feel like Birthright uh, addresses that. And we see that especially through that odyssey and through these uh, encounters that he has. And maybe through that odyssey, he sheds that uh, what what could be like a bumpkin right. <laughs> you sure. know persona. And for all seasons, kind of kind of skips over that. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, I mean that makes sense. Um, as far as Lex. Mm, so we, we've talked about Lex this. a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'll let you take it first. What do you want to say about Lex? I, I think I think that, and this was also part of the reason I I think I also had a difficult time getting into Superman was because he was able to do everything. I had a hard time believing, other than the three villains of Krypton, that there was any real way that a villain could really be a challenge for him. Um, you know, I think Parasite is a great Superman villain. Actually, I think that's what what Secret Origin does really well is that it picks the villains who really could challenge Superman. Parasite, yeah. Metallo, Lex Luthor. I mean, the ones who really, you know, not Toy Man, not the prankster, you know. Um, and it avoids the, the, the three Kryptonian villains completely, which is a wise thing to do. And of course, it had also been handled in a different part of, of uh, Jeff John's run, the, the first part, which was which is terrific, actually. Um, but anyway, what I did like about the, the, the first Lex Luthor I liked, 
wasn't you know super friends Lex Luthor, you know, who wore his outfit and right. you know, the little the, you know with the rocket packs and all of that. I mean, it kind of looks cool. I get it, but it was never it, it never seemed to be a fair matchup. So I liked the movie version of Lex Luthor. Yeah, you know, this idea of him, you know, basically be, be, being an evil real estate developer. Oh, these real estate, <laughs> yeah, these real estate developers, yeah. But but I love the way I love the way it's handled. That it's mind over muscle, right? And and the, the battle of wits, and that to me is is what made that such a compelling a compelling way, uh, you know. And the fact that he thought big, the, the idea of like destroying the West Coast, and his scheme was what was the challenge for Superman, not his physicality. Man of Steel takes that further. And what I, what I liked about it again, is that it was this idea that he is this guy who isn't running around in, in battle armor or in with rocket packs, but it's his political influence. It's who he is. It's what, you know, and this was by design they wanted to make, and I remember, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. A lot of that stuff, a lot of the interviews that were available at the time are not easily accessible now. Um, or at least you have to know where to look for them because they're not on the web. But there were a lot of interviews at the time where Byrne was talking about what he wanted to do and why he was why he did certain things. And he, he you know, I remember at the time reading that he wanted Lex Luthor to basically be a Donald Trump. Hmm. That he was this idea that he was this corporate titan. He put his name on every building, everything he did. His ego is what drove him. The and plus, you know, you're dealing with a time at the height of the corporate '80s. Also, this was very much a big, you know, part of the culture at the time. And I mean, it is now again, of course. But this was, you know, it was it was one of those high points, um, you know, as far as as far as the way you know our, our culture was, particularly in New York, which is what you know, Metropolis is one of the analogs for New York. So this idea that Lex. Is this he basically owns the city, quote unquote? The idea that he's vain, the whole bit with his hair and, right. and all of that. The idea that he 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 didn't lose his hair in a in a chemical accident. He didn't blame Superman for that. No, he was humiliated by Lois, and so he basically decides that he's going to shave his head, which to me is the only appropriate reason for Lex Luthor to to be bald. It it, it is simply that he is he's vain. Um. But I think that, particularly in rereading The Man of Steel, is that the idea that they would have, and, and it helps, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about people being suspicion suspicious. I don't buy the idea that Lex Luthor's motivation against Superman is because he doesn't like aliens per se. Agreed. I don't think that the idea that he says, oh, I don't think an alien should, I'm pro-human. and all. I don't buy that for, any, to me, Lex Luthor is an opportunist. Lex Luthor might use that idea against Superman and try to get the public against him and so and so suspicion and discontent and use it as a weapon, but it's not necessarily something he would believe. I much prefer him being a charlatan. I much prefer him being this manipulative behind the scenes one step ahead, you're never going to catch me even if you know what I'm up to kind of villain. I find that so much more compelling than a guy who puts on a battle suit and tries to punch out Superman or, or you know, I, I just, I find that the Machiavellian nature of that character is far more compelling than anything else. And it's something that it's harder for Superman to get his arms around. And I like the fact that Superman, the animated series really embraced that idea. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I much prefer, I also prefer the idea that he never met Lex until he got to Metropolis. That Lex, to me, even though I, I, I enjoyed Michael Rosenbaum a lot and I really liked Smallville, um, 
my preference is simply when he goes to Metropolis, he encounters this guy, you know, this, this all powerful Lex Luthor and Lex doesn't like Superman simply because Superman humiliates him. And as we have seen, when people with that thin skinned and people who have, you know, who are, who are easily humiliated, vengeance on those grounds alone is enough to turn them against you. And I think that that's all that we needed with Lex Luthor. And to this day, I still think that's the best version of Lex Luthor. Well said. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything. Uh, the one place where I would diverge, probably not a surprise, is uh, the, the relationship in Smallville. And how, that being said, I don't really love the treatment in Birthright or Secret Origin, right. both of Neither which uh, insert Lex into Smallville. Right. Um, Secret Origin in particular felt really perfunctory it, to me really just felt like okay it's to show that like they had this prior encounter right. and i didn't feel that it really added much no birthright at least went went deeper with that and i'm assuming again this birthright was you know right around the time that you know smallville was getting going right. so i mean i'm sure that was an influence and secret one well, secret origin two was what smallville was still yeah, yes. on yeah and so it's it's definitely i mean his father's name is lionel luther and they yeah but go ahead but that being said, and, and maybe this is just, you know, again, our the, the times in our lives when we were exposed to these things mm-hmm. and the connections that we make, you know, Smallville was a, a big thing for me and it's still mm-hmm. my favorite show and, sure. and, you know, my favorite version of a lot of these characters. But I like the version of Lex in Smallville where he's at the beginning of the show, he's like the nicest guy in town. Mm-hmm. He's not this f- freak, really, which is the way he's depicted in these stories. And... Uh, you know, the the bond that he and Clark have in the show, I mean, it's a genuine friendship. Right. And, you know, Birthright, you know, kind of got at that, but still it was um, very tentative. So I guess I kind of felt with both of them, it was kind of like, oh, they were, you know, inserting Lex, so I guess to reflect what was, you know, what a lot of people were familiar with at the time right. due to the show, but uh, it really didn't give us the depth that we were getting on screen uh, so I, it was the kind of thing where I don't know that I, I, I probably would have preferred if they had just left it that they meet in Metropolis. I, I, I think the reason it worked on TV is because you had full seasons to develop the characters and develop their relationship and make it believable. You also, because of the way they started the show, they didn't have an end game in mind really. I mean, the show went on for 10 years and really should have been five. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean, yeah, no, I, know. No, I yeah. mean that, that to me, I think actually Smallville would have been a perfect show if it had been five, 13 episode seasons. I think that you would have had what it was would have been the, I mean, it, it gave rise to the rest of the CW shows and, and it really did, it, you know, it was groundbreaking, groundbreaking, excuse me, in, in that regard. But even when I was watching those early episodes, I thought to myself, how are they going to justify the fact that Lex and Clark are such good friends and he sees him all the time with his face and doesn't, you know, when they get to Metropolis someday, how is he not going to know? And I guess they're going to give him a bump on the head and whatever. And we know how they ended up resolving it on Smallville. But I, to me, that's always been the part that they have never really been able to deal with because since they kind of always seem to be shoehorning it in other than what they did back in the sixties and the way they had the Superboy stories back then, which again, I thought were always implausible here. It, it, it is shoehorned because they never really explain why someone with his brilliance wouldn't recognize Clark, wouldn't make the connection, wouldn't put two and two together. He's one of the smartest men in the world. 
Um, they give their, they kind of pay lip service. You know, the idea that he won't, doesn't want to remember Smallville. So he doesn't remember Smallville or he, if he remembers it, he's not saying, and to me, you're asking to make too many excuses for it. So I think it's just so much smoother and it, they don't ever explain in the comics. They, in the modern comics, they haven't explained why it would be necessary that he was in Smallville other than to adhere to what some people know because of the TV show or, or maybe some other versions. To me, it just, it's very simple. He gets to Metropolis. There's this big, bad corporate overlord who doesn't, you know, who's running things and is really shady, but has never been caught. He offends Superman's sensibilities and, and Lex is jealous of Superman's appeal. And to me, that's enough. That is, that's a, it, we're seeing, we're seeing it in, again, not to get too political, but we're seeing that writ large in our society right now. It just shows that that kind of motivation can be very, very powerful. And I thought that, uh, that burn was onto something and the writers who followed him. I think the, the ones who stuck with it, I thought really were, were smart. See, I feel like there can be tremendous value in them having a, a deep friendship, uh, in, in Smallville. Um, and that was one of the things that I always felt the show did well. I mean, as much as I loved it, there were always things that were frustrating to me sure. about watching it. Um, but the Clark Lex dynamic and, and Lex's journey in particular, I felt they, they really handled that well. And I because was, never, they, but that's also because right. they had the time to exactly. do it. Exactly. Yeah. But I was never too worried about like, oh, like, well, you know, he won't, you know, how, how could he not recognize him later? Cause I figured, well, no, he would recognize him. Right. He would know. But again, going back to your point about how he's this you know, Machiavellian mastermind, he would know, but it would be power over Clark. That if, if you, if they ever got to tell that story, then I could see that, but they never really have. No, and that's yeah. what, and again, I, I, I can, and at some point we'll do a whole Smallville podcast, but that <laughs> was one of the things that broke my heart about the series finale yeah. when all of Lex's memories are right. erased, which is problematic right. in a number of ways. It's sure, like he has this great journey and then literally everything right. is and gone. you're right about his journey is as important as Clark's is on that show. I mean, it was, you know, Michael Rosenbaum wanted to leave and, you know, we know that all of yep. the, the behind the scenes stuff that was going on, but you're right about the fact that on that show that, that Lex's story is if, if Clark is obviously one a Lark, you know, Lex is one B and he is, and, and Rosenbaum was terrific in the role and it's a compelling story, but it's because they had that much room to tell the story. I think right. in comics, because there is no Superman in Smallville comic book. There is no Superboy comic book anymore, and there isn't going to be anytime soon. Throwing it in there now, to me, sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, again, I, unless it can be done the way it's done on the show, which right. for the reasons we discussed is really not feasible, uh, I don't know how much they gain by, by just you know throwing in these, right. these Smallville encounters. The last thing I'll say about Smallville, one of my favorite moments in the series finale before Lex's memories are erased... The last thing Clark says to Lex before he speeds off to go take on Darkseid is, I'm sorry I couldn't save you. Right. And, you know, as you're watching the show, there's always this question of like, well, maybe Lex, would Lex have taken a different path if Clark just confided in him and right. didn't lie to him all the sure. time? Uh, so it's an interesting thing. So again, I, I do think there can be value if if I agree with your point, if it has the, the room to breathe. So... Um, so as far as other themes, anything uh, that, that you particularly wanted to uh, wanted to get at? No, I think that, one, I mean, I, I was thinking about if there's anything to say about his relationship with Lois, but it, yeah. that's fairly consistent throughout. I mean, there's, there's, there aren't any major changes in her background. You know, they, they, they more firmly established, particularly with Byrne, because remember, Lois had historically been shown, and I can't speak to what the last 10 years before Crisis was like, because I really haven't read a lot of that stuff. Okay. But she was, you know, she was always a good reporter, but they, they really established with, and I think the movie helped with this, is that it's not that she's a really good reporter, she's the best reporter. 
you know, she's, she's the best at what she does. So I, I kind of like the, the way that Byrne handled the idea that they're actually kind of rivals, you know, in the newsroom and that they're always kind of playing, you know, can you, you know, can you top this? I like that. I don't think it's necessary for their relationship. Um, but low, you know, and, and throughout all of this, it's nice to see Jimmy show up, but you know, it's funny because Jimmy just, he just doesn't, he, I think Bendis is going to do a lot more with Jimmy. It feels mm-hmm. like than than uh, what a lot of writers have done in recent years. Jimmy hasn't really been much, but he doesn't really factor in. Uh, he actually, I think factors more into secret origin than he does in any of these. Yes. He's, he's, and I like that. I, and, and I've never been a big Jimmy Olsen fan. Um, but when he's done well, he's charming and he's charming in secret origin. But the, 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 the thing is, is that, um, I, I, when it comes down to it, I, I, my preference is still the man of steel. Um, but as far as the other stories that go, they're all still very, very good stories. And it's down to the fact that you're dealing with a great character, um, whether you're dealing with him in Metropolis or whether you're dealing with him in Smallville, um, there's a reason that this character endures. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, I mean, just a couple follow up things. Yeah, I agree uh, with your point about Jimmy. And that was a nice touch in Secret Origin that, you know, he's he's ready to throw in the towel and, and right. back to Yonkers. Yonkers. Yes, he's going to go back to Yonkers. He's going to come back to Yonkers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Superman poses for him and right. he's the only one that, right. that, you know, that'll pose And with the for hands him. on the hips. The hands on Which the hips. Which is hip. great. You know, so that was nice. Uh, as far as Lois, I agree. It is pretty consistent throughout. Where we get the most, actually, is American Alien, where... Mm-hmm. Uh, Clark and Lois actually embark upon a relationship. Right. And at the very end, after Clark's in the hospital, after getting beaten by Lobo, right. <laughs> uh, you know, she shows up. He had previously said, I love you. Right. And, and she ran out. And right. and, uh, and so, you know, she reciprocates. And it's a nice moment to end on. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe, you know, as far as, you know, how much ground these other origin stories are covering, there's just, you know, it, it stops before we would really get. Right. But I, I also did like the way Secret Origin showed why, or showed that she would become interested in the bumbling Clark because that's often hmm. been the issue. You know, it's yeah. always been the triangles that right, she, right. Clark likes, Clark likes Lois, Lois likes Superman and, you know, and, and the dance went on for decades in toward the end of secret origin when they have, when he stands up, you know, stares down John Corbin and she, you know, Metallo and she's really impressed by that. And she starts to see him in a different light and then, of course, he intentionally spills milk on her, and she's yeah. like, "What were you thinking?" But it's it, it gives that early rise to the idea that she would value Clark beyond you know, hey, Smallville, and 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 kind of being her, you know, her 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 crash test dummy or her rival or whatever. It shows that they could actually become friends without him, you know, wearing the cape, which I like. Right. Oh, kind of, you know, speaking about Lois, we talked about Jimmy, as far as Clark as the reporter and the Daily Planet in this, I think we see an evolution in the way the Daily Planet is depicted. And I think that's very reflective of the times. Yes. Right. So by the time we get to Birthright, you know, the Daily Planet has their web page and the web page needs to be refreshed. Perry wants the (laughs) the page refreshed. But I think, wasn't it like after it, like they refresh it the next day? It was was something (laughs) like, again, I'm like, well, no, no, it doesn't work that way. But when it was written that you weren't thinking like instantaneous, I mean, the web was still, I mean, and and frankly, you know, as far as journal, it took the, the, the entire industry to to kind of figure out how is the web supposed to work for us yeah, and what are we supposed to do? You know, we're not supposed to put it up when it happens because then people won't buy the next day's paper, which was an eternal struggle. And to some degrees there, there are still vestiges in that Mm. in journalism. Um, But as a journalist, it's also interesting to see how it's portrayed and how much of that is realistic and how much of that is not realistic. Um, 
and the fact that the idea that they, you know, I think it's secret origin where, you know, it's on its, it's, it's basically failing. Yeah. You know, that's it's, what it's I was going to get di- to. It's yeah. a dying enterprise as opposed to 1986 where it's still very much the daily planet. Yeah, it's like the planet doesn't spin. It's right, rusted. There's right. graffiti on exactly. the wall outside. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's interesting. And again, yeah, it's always reflective of, of the times. Uh, by the time we get to American Aliens, like Clark and Lois, they've won, they're students, they've won an internship right. at, at the planet. But keep in mind also, that was something that DC was, was dealing with back in the seventies too, because their first first attempt to quote unquote modernize Superman where that was the intent was make him TV people. Right. You right. Know, put him, put, you know, forget the planet and put him on WGBS. And so for most of the seventies and into the eighties, the, the planet was secondary to, to all of that. And that added a whole element. Although again, that was one of those things where, Hmm, the anchor man looks an awful lot like <laughs> Superman. <laughs> So millions of people get to see him up close in their TV every, and nobody notices that the guy is sitting there with the picture of Superman behind him and they're not the same guy. Uh, you know, well, so full disclosure, I haven't sure. read any of Bendis's Man of Steel yet. I, okay. They're all waiting for me at All Yeah Comics, but I haven't picked them up yet, but I okay. will. And obviously we'll be talking about that next time. Yes. But one of the things that I know Bendis has talked about in interviews is really playing up the reporter angle with Clark. And one thing that he said repeatedly in interviews is, you know, Clark didn't choose to be born on Krypton and to have these powers, but he chose to become a reporter. Right. And that's something that I, I mean, I agree with, and I hope to see that explored more fully. Um, I never, I never really liked the idea that he's just a reporter because he, you know, that he'll hear about things first. I mean, I like the idea that it's something he's actually passionate about. But, but that was, but that made sense in 1938. True. Um, because yeah. <laughs> that was how you did hear things first. You right. had the police radio, you're in the newsroom. It wasn't, he didn't have a phone, you know, uh, uh, you know, in his pocket. He didn't have the web. He didn't, you know, now he doesn't actually doesn't need to be a reporter. And I was thinking about this also. Clark Kent today would not need to be a reporter. In fact, it would probably be a pretty bad idea for him to be a reporter. He would be, it would be a, a pretty good job for him would be something that he could do that it would pay the rent but he would be able to very quickly duck out if he had to, because frankly, if anything is happening in the world that would need a Superman, natural disasters, gigantic robots landing in, in Metropolis Central Park, he doesn't need to be in a newsroom. Now this, you know, I am not knocking my own profession here. <laughs> I, am, I am not trying to find a way not to be employed. But but when you're Superman specifically, you you know, we as as, as journalists, we find things out first, but our whole jobs is to get it out there as quickly as humanly possible, which is minutes. So if you're Superman, you, if you're, if you're actually doing the job, you can't leave the job. You have to stay doing right. exactly. You'll get fired really quick. If every time some natural disaster happens and you, and your editor is waiting for you to file that story and you run and all of a sudden you disappear, you're gone, man. HR is going to march you out. Forget it. So in a way, it makes more sense for him to have a job where he would be able to be able to disappear a little bit more discreetly, but keep abreast of what's going on in the world around him. So the idea of Bendis make, giving him a, a, a reason that makes sense today in today's world that he wants to do that because he wants to do good in his other life. You, you do have to think, does Superman need a job? Okay. He does need to, he doesn't need to eat. He can sleep in the fortress of solitude. He does because I I would prefer the idea that, you know, he needs human interaction. He needs friends. Right. He needs things to do. And he also needs a place where he can decompress. And that's one of the things that some of these stories have done very, very well, which really haven't touched on is why can't he be Superman 24 seven? 
even if his physical physical abilities would allow him to do it, his emotional abilities would not. And it's not a, it turn, it, we're not talking about mental acuity. We're talking about emotions. And that's what makes Superman Superman is he can't be all things to all people at all times. He needs to rest or he will go mad because he in emotionally and mentally, he's a human being. Because think about that. Even if you didn't physically need to rest, you would need to rest your mind. You would need a chance to break right. away. So if you do want that human interaction, if you want to have a, 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 the closest thing that you can approximate to a, a, um, a real life, a real human life, then choosing journalism does make sense because you do have the opportunity to do good work on a very, very basic level. Um, so the idea that he's going to address that and make that a part of his world, I think is terrific. I've read the first couple of issues of Man of Steel. Um, I'm two issues behind. Uh, issue number four just came out as we're recording this. So, so far they haven't really gotten into that that much, okay. but I know that they will. So. Yeah. And I think it goes back too to the fact that he's, you know, he's raised as a human. So the well, idea well, right. that he would, like, you know, right. that he would move forward and he would right. get a job and exactly. all that stuff makes a right. lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, oh, one other thing that I just wanted to mention is not connected to anything you just said, but... Um, one of the things that I really actually did like about Secret Origin was this um, this bit about Lex uh, going out to the masses every day and picking mm -hmm. someone to help. Yeah, the Willy uh, Wonka. That, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, although, you know, maybe wasn't really helping them so much. Well, no, he all. wasn't. He was, he was exploiting <laughs> them. Yeah. Um, but then the fact that, you know, once Superman arrives on the scene and finally is able to win the people over and right. inspire them, that they're no longer looking up to him, but looking right. up to Superman, it, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that was really cool. You know, uh, we didn't talk about four all seasons a ton, um, but you know, as I said at the top, you know, there's a lot of Smallville in that. I mean, the and you know, the first issue is about him leaving and you know going mm -hmm. out into the world, and he comes back in the second issue when he when he's feeling lonely, right. and he returns in the final issue after um, his run in with Lex, and he's right. you know he's feeling doubt and he kind of needs to rediscover his purpose. You know, I've often thought about why the Smallville portion uh, resonated with me so much, and it's. But I feel like it goes back to Superman the movie because that was really the first time mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I had that exposure. And I, as best I can remember, even then, that was something that I really identified with for whatever reason. I, I don't know. And then, of course, yeah, Smallville, the TV series, definitely right. uh, played a large role in that. But I think ultimately, for me, what it comes down to, and I talked about this uh, in, a, in a previous podcast, but the way I look at it, the Clark on the farm, Clark in Smallville, that's the truest version of the character. Hmm. And when you get, Clark the reporter and you get Superman there's an element of disguise with both and and it can take you know whether he's he's bumbling or he's assertive or he's dull there's still some element of mm -hmm. disguise or he can't fully be himself and even when he's Superman he's wearing the costume you know he's he's become that symbol for people but I feel like Clark on the farm is the truest purest version of himself just like Bruce in the Batcave right. although I mean, you might argue Batman is the true version yeah, but I, well. but I kind of ha have that like that trinity view of, of him too where you know Bruce in the in the Batcave is really the the truest version and then there's that element of disguise with both Bruce Wayne Playboy and Batman so I, maybe that's why the smallville piece of all of this uh, has has always um, has always grabbed me the way it has well he's this, you're right he's a, he's he is depicted in these stories at, as his most honest when he is in Smallville. And it's it's interesting for me personally because over the last few years, Smallville has had very little to do with the Superman comics, which have been excellent, by the way. 
um, you know, what Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason and Dan Jurgens were doing with Rebirth. Was yeah, yeah. Really terrific. Re- really felt very much in the in the vein of what you know John Byrne, Marv Wolfman, and of course Jurgens himself was doing. You know, twenty years ago. <laughs> um, you know, th- it really felt right, and it's part of why I, in today's comics, really enjoy his relationship with his son and his relationship with Lois and the fact that they brought that back in because now, whether they're living in Hamilton County, which is a stand-in for Smallville, or moving to Metropolis, which is where they belong and they should be living, it we do get to see him unvarnished. We get to see him as a person because he doesn't have to hide himself with his wife and his son. Um, we all have different faces that we present to the world, whether we, whether it's at work, whether it's with friends, whether it's even with, whether it's with our spouses or family members, we do present ourselves in different ways. So to see him at his most unvarnished is always interesting to see because you do get that, you know, that, that heart of Superman. So I could see why Smallville would be appealing for that reason. For me, we see that now in Metropolis with his, with his nuclear family. Um, but I can understand why the Smallville part of it would be that appealing. I just happen to like, I mean, I, I, as someone who works in Manhattan, even today, if I'm walking, you know, on a sunny day crossing Fifth Avenue, I, I still like to imagine, you know, just, <laughs> you know, flying down the avenue like that. Superman and Metropolis to me are the, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a quote that's usually, um, that's usually attributed to Denny O'Neill that New York city is, you know, metropolis is New York city in midtown on a sunny May day. And Gotham city is New York city downtown on a cold November night. <laughs> and I, it really fits. And as someone who finds himself in midtown a lot, I, I still, you know, New Yorkers aren't supposed to look up at the skyscrapers. It's supposed to be something that you don't do. I, I don't care. I love looking up because I love imagining the idea of a Superman swooping around. Well, wow, that's a beautiful sentiment. And uh, I mean, is there anything else that you that you wanted to say? No, not really. I mean, the the I, I you know, as a, as a guy who is a is a Batman guy, Superman is definitely second in my you know second or third, maybe depending. There might be a time where I like a certain character more because of their comic. Um, you know, I I could make a case for you know a few different heroes, but Superman is usually you know if you know comes into that number two spot. Um, do I like all of the stories? No, I do feel like right now he's in excellent hands and I have really, really been enjoying what I've been reading over the last couple of years. And so far what I've read of Bendis has been, has been good too. Um, but it just, you know, again, looking over these five stories, the man of steel, even though it definitely has some cracks in it that you see after 30 years, I, I, I will, I still return to it as being kind of like the primal, you know, in the same way the birthright is your Superman. Sure, exactly. You know, it's uh, the Man of Steel is mine. Well, well said. Uh, well, I honestly, I really, I had such a good time doing this. Yeah, this I mean, is great. Sincerely, yeah, I, I really had a lot of fun. Yeah. This has been a really long day, and yeah. uh, and I don't know, I don't know if I'd have the energy, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's really been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I hope listeners enjoyed. I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you've you've read these stories, but maybe not. And if you haven't, I really do encourage you to read all of them. I think they, yeah. you know, they each have their own flavor and they each offer something. And you know, what Man of Steel was to you or what Birthright was to me, one of these other stories might be to you listening right. to this. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, you, you mentioned that we haven't really talked as much about For All Seasons because in a sense, it's not really an origin story per se. 
it just amplifies some of the themes that we saw in Man of Steel, but it also works as well with the other stories. It's just a wonderful story. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's beautifully told and it's, and it's wonderfully illustrated. And again, the colors are just absolutely gorgeous, but there, there's not a dog in this bunch. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Uh, well, I want to thank you very much for being part of this. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I want to thank everyone for listening. So Dan and I are going to be back in two weeks. Yes. <laughs> uh, for the, the second part of the Superman book club event. And we're going to be talking about uh, Bendis' Man of Steel. So that should be a lot of fun. You know, be sure to come back for that. Dan and I are going to keep talking uh, for a few more minutes here. We're going to record an episode of the after show. And on that note, uh, if you want access to that, and why wouldn't you? Uh, sign up for the My Comic Shop History Patreon. It is live today, uh, Wednesday, June 27th. Uh, I talked about it in the previous episode, and I've been posting about it, but in case you're not familiar, Patreon is a platform that allows creators to get paid for the work that they do. Uh, so I'm launching this page uh, in exchange for becoming a member. You'll be getting exclusive content ranging from a full, uh, full-length full bonus episode of the show each season uh, to these after-show episodes. Uh, I'll be doing one for each regular episode that we do, so it'll be a lot of additional exclusive content. You won't be able to get it anywhere else. Uh, so for those of you who have, who have done that or are thinking about it, uh, I thank you very much. I hope you enjoy. And, uh, you know, thank you to everyone for being part of this journey and for uh, listening and supporting this flat squirrel operation here. So uh, Dan and I are going to keep talking. Uh, again, to get that after show, head on over to patreon.com slash mycomicshophistory. And then we'll be back here in two weeks. I'm going to end this book club episode the way I end the book club episodes with a different Odoism. Not don't be a flat squirrel, though that's good advice and you should always adhere to that. But my sign off for this will be keep your expectations low and you'll never be disappointed. 